Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Hello, good morning, church. So our Bible passage today will be taken from Colossians 2, verse 16 to 23. After I read the Bible passage, I would say, this is the word of the Lord, and kindly respond with, thanks be to God. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with their head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grow as God causes, causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Hanatu. Um, once again, for those who are with us for the first time, or if you've not been with us for a while, uh, welcome again. Now, I just want to say we've been doing, as Francis said, this series through the book of Colossians, and this will bring an end to the first part of the book of Colossians, which is 1 to 2. And then after, from next week, we'll be looking at uh, from chapters 3 to 4, which will, if the first part focuses on a horizontal, uh, vertical relationship, the second part focuses on our horizontal relationships. Um, I don't know how many of us, if we were in a public place, let's say you went to a hospital, or let's say you went to a get-together, a gig, and um, a child comes, a child of about five, six years old comes, and you're having a drink, and that child now comes and says, give me. What would you think? Now, what would you do? Now, here's what you would do and what you would say, especially if the child's mom was around, like, oh, this is an adorable child, you know. All you'll be thinking is, see this child that lacks home training. I'm wondering what kind of parents are there. They didn't train them. They didn't train you well. Am I wrong? Uh, in fact, you can't admit to it because that's exactly how you feel. Um, you know, we, we, we compare it a lot with our own training growing up, where your parents told you, don't take anything from strangers, particularly food. Now, you know, they never told you don't take I know, don't take an appointment from strangers. Now, for some of us here, appointment is really, it will be something that would tempt us. But they say food, why? Because you're only really tempted by something that you desire, isn't it? And children are not tempted by appointment yet. They are definitely tempted by food, isn't it? All right, hold that thought. Um, here's another one to think about. How many of us have been disappointed or have been scammed in some way by, um, by a person that you invested in. For example, imagine uh, Toki uh, was on the road, going one day on the road, and then Francis came. He doesn't know Francis. He now says, Francis, um, I have this. He doesn't call him Francis. He just says, hi, I have this uh, proposal, business proposal for you. Um, it just requires you giving me some money. Now, 
I would invest that money, I'll put it somewhere, then after like four weeks, that money is going to come back, it will grow, especially if you are able to get five or six people that will also do the same thing. Now, what would Toki do? Uh, what would uh, 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 Francis do? Like, who is this guy? Like, I mean, he wouldn't think, probably even allow that conversation to end, right? He would just dismiss him. But that would be different if Toki, being in the same church with Nanke, for instance, now went to meet Nanke. And Nanke, hi. Ah, how are you doing? Ah, brother, brother Toki, you know. Right? And then he says, I have this, this new investment or this new thing. The thing is going down. And you just need to give me some money. I'll invest it. But then you need to recruit some people. And after like four weeks, that money will grow. Now, depending on how Nanke is feeling that week, Especially maybe she's been looking for some, that business opportunity for her to hammer. And like, ah, this one. And then it's brother Toki again. Toki leads, he, leads, he, he does worship coordination. He sings in church. I'm sure Toki knows what he's saying. All right? And so she gives him the money. I'm not referring to MMM, if that's what you're thinking. Right? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to make a point about that. Why is it that Toki, um, uh, Nanke listened to Toki, and Francis didn't listen to Toki. Primarily, we would say because they were familiar, right? She was familiar. She was um, Nanke was familiar with Toki, but Francis was not familiar with Toki. And so, on the one hand, people are tempted by what they desire, which can actually lead to bad consequences. And at the same time, people are also drawn. Also, bad, to bad consequences by people who are fam they are familiar with desires and familiarity. Now, if you those two things are really important in the text that we read here, because when you think about the church community, there are two big enemies that it has apart from Satan. But Satan uses two big enemies if you want to destroy the church. One of them we're very familiar with, which is persecution. Right? People being slaughtered, killed because they are Christians. We see that. But another very devastating one is one that comes with desires and it comes uh, through people that are familiar. Very devastating one. And it's what Paul warns about here, which is false teaching and false teachers. Paul is writing to a church that he has never met before. And the main reason he's writing this, we already saw a hint about that in, in verse 8 of chapter 2 a few weeks ago. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul is saying, I need to deal with this thing, but before I deal with it, I need to first explain who Christ is so that you guys will be built up in such a way that you can ward against these forces, this internal force that can not only destroy your Christian foundation, but could also destroy your lives. If we can sort that out, then we can talk about how this Christ then applies to my marriage, applies to my work, applies to my parenting, applies to how I deal with non-Christians. But we need to sort this thing out because all I have been teaching you, it has an enemy. And that enemy can lure you with things you desire and can lure you and can lure you into a place of safety when it comes to someone that is familiar to you. And so even in a city like Lagos, a very diverse cosmopolitan city like Lagos, we are fed with so many of these kinds of things. And I think we have to be able to understand Paul's counsel so that we can heed, uh, heed it. Um, let, we should, let's look at this sermon that was titled Deep and Empty. Let's try and understand it. And uh, to do that, we'll look at it in three different subheadings. One, deep and empty teachings. Second, deep and empty teachers. And third, deep and full Christ. Deep and empty teachings, deep and empty teachers, and deep and full Christ. First one, deep and empty teachings. Question. How many of us have had what you call concoction rice? You know what it is. I, the ones that are not raising up their hand, they are smiling. Because let me tell you my first encounter. I went to the cousin of mine in the early 90s um, 
He was in school in Yaba Tech. Now, that cousin of mine is a cheapskate. And you know, you know cheapskates, right? Some of you were, that were uh, uh, on campus, your friends that were cheapskates, especially the ladies, they only show up when they are hungry. You know that kind of thing. Hey, what's happening now? I shall, ah, wow. <laughs> they don't want to go on to, are you not cooking anything? So this, my cousin took me. I was hungry. He was hungry. We went to the female hostel. And so like, ah, what is cooking? So, ah, they don't have much. Oh. They also have rice there. There was pepper. There was oil, salt, but nothing else. And I'm like, ah, we're really hungry. And so you know, she now said, OK, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll do something. So she started putting the thing together. And I was wondering, even though I was young, I knew how to cook. I knew you needed, because really, well, let me finish. All right, she puts it together, does everything. And I'm like, the thing comes out, it's not really orange, it's not really red. It's sort of a cross between, which is really what concoction rice is. Concoction rice is when you desire jollof rice, but you don't have the means to get there, right? That is what it is. So they brought that thing together. I was like, there's no way. I'm hungry, but there's no way in the world that I'm eating this stuff. And so they all started eating. They were talking. I'm like, I'm not. Are you sure you don't want? No, I'm not. I was like... Eventually, I said, ah, I'm hungry. Let me, let me taste it. I tasted this thing that I was, I'm sure I knew was going to be horrible. I tasted it. And when I ate it, I was like, ha, huh. <laughs> this thing is really good. Oh. <laughs> I ate and ate and ate. I was so full. You know, because really, they say necessity is the mother of all invention, right? No jollof rice. We don't have the means, but we can put something together. Concoction rice. Because concoction rice really is a reflection of something else that we celebrate as Lagosians, which is diversity. That when you bring different things together, those different things that you put together, um, what comes out of them is something that is rich, something that is better than the sum of the parts. So we value diversity. As I'm looking at um, a cross-section of us here, at least I know some of our names, and the names would reflect different cultures, different backgrounds, different Places. So we are a people of diversity. We love it. But then the mistake we could make is that we want to apply diversity into everything, including matters of <laughs> faith, religion, truth, Christianity. If you read verse 16, there, Paul makes reference to um, not allowing anyone to judge you by um, what you eat or drink, by new moon uh, celebrations, by festivals, or by Sabbath. What does that remind you of? If, if any religion that reminds you of? Anyone? Judaism, right? Judaism, they're the ones that talk about Sabbath and all of that. All right, so that's, figure that out. Then later in verse 17 and verse 18, he now says, uh, verse 18, uh, sorry, uh, verse, uh, verse 18, that um, also there's this aspect of worship of angels, and there's this aspect of people seeing visions, going into great detail about visions. And in verse 22, it talks about human commandments and teachings. Now, what does that remind you of? You may, it may not stri strike a bell, but all these guys in Colossae, they weren't Jews, so they were part of what they were called Gentiles. And so they had their folk religions. And the folk religions had a lot to do with seeing visions and all of those kinds of things. And so there is the Judaism there, there is the pagan folk religion there. And then don't forget, he's talking to people in a church. Right? There is some aspect of Christianity there. So we see Jewish uh, Judaism, we see paganism, and we see Christianity. And we put all of that together, and you come up with a brand new teaching. It's sort of like the concoction rice, right? Pour rice, put water, put some pepper, put some salt. Put, if you have some stock, no, you can't have some stock because you couldn't have had, if, if you had stock, that means you had meat, right? And you can't, so, all right. So you put those things together. And in the same way, when you do that for truth, for faith, we call that syncretism. There was, we don't quite know exactly what they were teaching, but we knew that it was some kind of syncretistic mix of Judaism, of Christianity, and of paganism. One came with all these, um, it brought about all these laws of purity. Don't touch this, don't handle this, don't eat this, don't, you know. And then, of course, we talked about the sighting and the worshipping of angels. Now, you listen to that, you'd be like, well, I wouldn't have fallen for that, really. There's something, there's an allure that some of these sophisticated um, uh, kinds of teachings um, have and pull on us, two of them in particular. One is knowledge, and the other one is 
power. If you notice, it said this thing, knowledge or wisdom, this thing had an appearance, 23, uh, has an appearance of wisdom. And then there was another thing about the power to change, central indulgence. And so sometimes when we hear this new thing, you know how it is, like, this guy would say something, you'd be like, I don't really understand it, but the fact that I don't understand it means that there's probably something here. I don't know if you read John 21. Let me give you John 21, since we are, you know, let's go deep, right? John 21. No, first of all, you know Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, 20. This is what you call, Jesus is resurrecting the great commission passage. He's resurrected, he's about to leave his disciples, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commandments I've given you, right? Go and preach the gospel, go and baptize people, and then teach them to obey the commandments. Now, that's Matthew. But if you go to John, at the end of John, there's an incident there that they're not sure whether Jesus rose from dead or not. But Jesus then appears to them. They are trying to catch fish. They couldn't catch a lot of fish. Jesus appears and says, go cast your net. And they catch fish. And they said they even counted the fish. And it was how many? You know, 153. Like, why is that there? I'll tell you why that is there. There's a little bit of mathematics. You know what a triangular, a triangular number is? Triangular number. Do you know what it is? So 1, 3, 6, 10, 15. Do you know what I'm doing there? So at the top is 1, all right? But then next level is 1 and 2. 1 plus 2 is what? Next level is 1, 2, 3. 1 plus 2 plus 3 is what? 6. So 1, 3, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4 is the next. So what do you have? 10. So it's 1, 3, 6, 10, 15, 21, all right? If you go to 17, 1 to 17, right? The sum of 1 to 17 is 100, stop looking at me like that, it's 153. So the triangular number for, 153 is a triangular number that takes you to 17. 17, right, is the last number. Now what's 17? 17 is 10 plus 7. 10 stands for the Ten Commandments. And seven is really four plus three. What is four? Four is the four square gospel. Three is the trinity. So now, John was trying to reflect what Matthew was saying. Notice it's ten, it's four, and it's three. Commandments, four square gospel, and three, the, the trinity. So he's saying, look, I was going to make you fishers of men. Now I've resurrected, you need to go out to preach the four square gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them the ten commandments. Hallelujah. You're like, that sounded smart. I don't know what you say. I, I, I probably can't reproduce it, but it sounds smart. And so how many of us like to be seen as Christians that don't have knowledge? I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be characterized that way. You know, these dumb Christians. And so teachings like this are lure us. They lure us towards, I've just followed this person. I mean, I don't know Bible well, but Hanatu, she knows. And if Hanatu says it, then it is true. How do you know that this person said it? But there's also the issue of power. Imagine you are one of those pagan, um, imagine you're one of those pagans, and now you come into Christianity. But in your former way of worshiping, in your former way of worshiping, you always, maybe sexual uh, promiscuity at the temples was one of the things you did. And at the same time, um, drunkenness as well was tied into it. And now all of a sudden you get into this religion and then said you can't be drunk. And that no, your, your bodies are, your, are sacred. You can't just be sleeping with anyone. Now how many of us know that the fact that we're brought into Christianity doesn't mean that all our bad character traits and all our bad habits just disappear. So you are struggling with sex and you are struggling with drunkenness. And somebody comes and says, bro, the, the problem is not, yes, you're a Christian, but is that you are here. You need to get here that we need to go deep. So you see, Christianity came out of Judaism. What do you know about Moses? What do you know about those festivals? Do you know there's a festival of, of Passover? There's a festival of Pentecost? There's a festival of Tabernacles? Do you know what those things mean for your, your purity? You see, you are, just at, you are only celebrating the Passover. Paul says that Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So you are just at that level. You are in primary school. But for you to get into another level, 
you need to celebrate Pentecost. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's the problem. You're still an evangelical. You've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I say, okay, but even if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's still tabernacles where you have to be gathered in with Christ. That is, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but now you need to be baptized into Christ. For by one spirit have we been baptized into one body. So it's about celebrating the feast. Ah, that sounds pretty okay to me. And don't forget, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. So that person is not so much the knowledge itself, but the person's desire to get better. Because they look at their Christian lives and they're not satisfied with it. And it's that law of wisdom and the law of power that gives birth to not just the many Gospels that we have, but the people that follow after them. Let me give you six of them I think exist in Lagos. One is what you can call the shock and awe Gospel. No, it's not just like what I described. That one takes too long. Shock and awe Gospel, everything is short. For instance, as somebody said, God needs your permission to do anything on earth. Now, some of us said, no, that's not how you feel if you are 22. If you are 22, it's like, mm, you stand up at that point, right? There's some like, he said, because God created man in his own image, you are creating the image of God. God is not here. God is in heaven. You are God's vice regent here. Whatever you say, shock and awe. That is it's something that hits you, like, wow. And you throw that out there. What is the allure of that? The allure of that is wisdom. It makes you look like somebody that knows something. Or you have the prosperity gospel. The formula being right giving plus right method plus right prayer plus right event equals to monetary, physical, and spiritual blessings. Because let's be frank. Many of us are in Lagos or we are striving for dreams. We want to work. We want to make that dough. We want to see the fruit of our labor. And it would be nice to know that God is on your side. And so whilst you are trying to work hard and do all of those things, you also need a spiritual formula. And so this thing that brings in different kinds of aspects of Christianity and maybe some other things, it appeals to us. How about the itchy ears gospel? The itchy ears gospel. Um, the itchy ears gospel is really the ability for you to enter into a new place of blessing without you doing anything. You see, with the prosperity gospel, you have to do a number of things. You have to sow, you have to, you know. But with the itchy ears gospel, all you need is a man of God. And sit under his word. So it's if like I came and said something like this. Like, so I feel it, there's something. So I was talking, but at this point, and I'm like, oh, there's somebody here, I want to tell you something. By this time next year, under the sound of my voice, you are moving to another level. Do you understand? So at this point, you key into that. Nothing, you don't need anything else. Your ears just need, you know, what level am I moving into? That doesn't really matter. You start getting into details. And details are the thing that kills this. It is about the fact that there was an atmosphere that was released, and now you have to enter into it. Now, what you want to enter to, it depends on you. Some of you want to get married, so that means you'll be married next year. Some of you want a particular contract in six months, that means you'll get it. Do you understand? Your ears are already itchy for a particular thing. And so this guy is declining to you. That's the itchy ears. Right? That makes that also the power. Three more. Jesus' only gospel. This is growing in our campuses and people that are just leaving campuses. And it basically is this. Jesus is all we need. No rules, no circumstances, no laws. Even when the Bible as is written comes against our view of what Jesus is going to say, we'll say the Bible is not correct. So I know someone who has not only denied many aspects of the book of Daniel, He's now denying the book of Leviticus, denying um, uh, that the book of Job was written by, uh, inspired by God, all of those things, because Jesus would never want us to suffer. So what's Job talking about? Number five, the privacy gospel. The privacy gospel basically is this. You know, I am, we are, I'm hidden with Christ. Christ has saved me. So there is no need for authority or accountability or church in your life. As long as your personal relationship with God in your personal worship, study, and prayer is fine. See, me and God, we've got to go in on. So I don't want, yeah, I come to church, I'll sit down where Toby is at the last corner. I come in just before the sermon. 
just before the sermon, and then I leave. Not just at the end of the sermon, because then you look one kind. When it's time to pray, and everybody, no one is looking, then you come out. Because once somebody starts to try to intrude into my life, asking me this, uh-uh. me and God, me and God are fine. All right? Sorry. And you better not be judging in your heart. All right? So me and God are fine. I study, I pray. I had an awesome time worshiping this morning. But the moment you start trying to tell me um, that God, this is how God wants to use my money, this is how God wants to use my body, this is how God wants to, uh, don't get there. Because my Christian faith is private. It's personal, but it's not private. Then finally, you can have the ascetic gospel, which was a big issue here, right? Where people say, intimacy and favor with God only comes with consistent uh, denial of a desire. You like food? God wants you to start this year with a 100-day fast. And if you break any of those things, you will double it. You like TV? God never wants you to watch TV again. Netflix, never. Why? Because you desire it. If you desire it, then God doesn't want it for you. So I talked about harsh treatment of the body. This is how I can move to be closer to God. And we have this, these, you know, variety of these on offer. Now, please hear me. I'm not getting into condemnation. What I'm trying to say is that there is a reason why people are attracted to these things. Because the various aspects of it promises us power or it promises us some kind of wisdom. But the unfortunate thing is that there are two results that it leads to, that Paul tells us. One is judgmentalism. Two, the other is powerlessness. Judgmentalism. What do I mean? Notice what he says. He says in verse 16, do not let anyone judge you. Or verse 18, do not let anyone disqualify you. The judge and disqualify are really the same Greek root word, which is basically don't allow anyone to condemn you based on not doing or participating in these kinds of things. Because what happens essentially is the people that have these beliefs almost draw, it's like you draw a ring, and those beliefs, if you submit to them, you are in. But everyone else that doesn't is on the outside. And so how, what is your attitude towards them this day? Contempt. Look at those people. What do they even know? We are the ones that have the word, and all of those guys don't. So you look down consistently on Christians who are still baby Christians, still uh, unfaithful Christians. We look down on them. And really, can I say that that attitude is not in any way Christian? The second is powerlessness. What Paul tells us is that this thing that is deep is also very empty. Look at in verse 23. It says... Such regulations, even though they have an appearance of wisdom, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They promised you change, but ultimately you really don't get that change. You say, but ah, that teaching has made him rich. Yes, it has. But what about the countless people that he has promised that they will get rich and they haven't? How about them? You know, it's like gambling. Gamblers always say, if it be, if it be you. That if it be you. You know what? That it's a probabilistic chance of one out of, you know, depending on which odds. It can be one out of a million. But what do we see on the news? Somebody cashed 23 million pounds. Say, ah, if it be me, oh. No, it's never going to be you. So you always parade those who, quote, unquote, it's worked for. You say, but ah, my personal connection with God, void of church, has made me more holy. Well, that's according to you. How come everybody is testifying that you are not very holy again? You see, Paul says we need to be aware of these things because they don't ultimately get us to where we want to go. They are powerless, but they also create a sense of judgmentalism in us. Now that takes me to the second point. Deep and empty teachers. Now, don't forget, in fact, when Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew um, 7, verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. He didn't say beware of false prophecies. He says beware of false prophets. Why? Because false prophets are going to prophesy false, you know, 
it's like when we say, haters go to war. Hey, you understand? That's why hatred uh, is there, because you have haters, right? Don't hate the player. No, 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 complete it. All right, so false prophets are going to prophesy falsely. False teachers are the ones that bring false teaching. That's why he says, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. There's the human persons behind these things. Now, how can we identify them? Now, before I do that, I do want to quickly say something. Um, it's always slightly uncomfortable teaching on these kind on, on, on um, false teachers and false prophets. Why? Because it inevitably becomes self-referential. That is, maybe some of you are thinking, but Femi, do you, do you, are you saying, uh, do you think you're a false prophet? And um, even if I was, I would tell you, <laughs> right? But, no, I don't. Like, do you think those people think they're false prophets? They probably don't either. So how do we know who to believe? I don't know. I, I don't know who is true. I don't say so I'm just going to give up. Really? I don't think that's the way to. I think we can answer that. But let me ask you a question because that giving up doesn't solve your problem. Four questions, true or false? I'll just make the statement. False, teacher, false teaching exists, true or false? False teachers exist, true or false? There's warning about both in the Bible, true or false? And those warnings still apply today, true or false? In other words, you still have, even if you say you don't know who, how to believe, how to uh, differentiate, you're still dealing with the same problem. It is still a problem today as it was then. Now, I do think the way you answer that, if I just tell you, well, believe me because I believe that I am right, that will be creating the same problem. So it cannot be a subjective way to answer that question. But I'll give some tips on that in the, next, in the final point, all right? So, but let's go back to how we can identify false teachers. I think Paul gives us uh, a hint. Uh, he gives us three hints here. Um, here are three things that you can use. Novelty, arrogance, and ignorance. That is, they come up with novelty, they're arrogant, and they are ignorant. So novelty. Notice it says that they worship angels. Right? Such a person grows, uh, sorry, do not let anyone, verse 18, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. It also says such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. Wow. Angels and visions. Angels, right? All right. I know your Christianity is great, but when last did you see an angel? When last have you been touched by an angel? Like, okay, forget, that one is even small. I even know the names of angels. Like, ah, what do we know now? Uh, yeah, you know Michael, all right? You know Gabriel. Have you heard of Uriel before? You know what I mean? Have you heard of Raphael before? You see, I know. Worship of angels. Or they see visions. And these visions are usually not things that the Bible teaches per se. They see, it makes them bring extra biblical things. So, for instance, if you read the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, Toki, did you know, it talks about the seven seals. And the seven seals, when they open, we see what is there, from, I think, six to eight. But then, after the seven seals, there are seven trumpets. And those seven trumpets, we know what they are sounding because it tells us. And then after that, do you know that there are seven vials, seven bowls, of judgment. We know that they are what they do because it tells us. But do you know that there are also seven thunders there? And when the seven thunders sounded, it said John should not say anything about what the thunders were. It's not the time. But you see, I was in a vision two weeks ago. And it lasted and it was eight hours. In fact, what happened was I was sleeping. And then in my sleep, I heard a voice. And the voice told me, come up. And I woke up. And as I woke up, I heard the voice behind me as the sound of a trumpet. And it says, come up hither. And it was when I came up hither that I was caught to see the meaning of the seven thunders. And I've come to declare that to you. <laughs> now, I'm saying that is actually true because there was a book I bought over 12 years ago. The guy actually saw the seven thunders and what they meant. I'm not sure whether he was caught for fraud or something. But I don't think it ended well with him. But you see, those kinds of visions, endless, he said, they go into endless detail. Why? Because they want to show you how 
what they are bringing is novel. It's new. And many times we are just attracted to what is new. You know, one of the things I found out about those guys is that there are two things often they bring attention to, their birth and their commission. Always there was something, one priest, one Ifa priest died on the day they gave birth to them. You know, or, you know, the mother got a prophecy that this child is something. Or no, the last five children died before this, this one. Or their commission, you know, because Jeremiah was commissioned, God called him to commission Ezekiel. We read about their commission. So they will tell you about when God called them and all the things that happened. They'll give you the date, the time, all of those things. All to make those things special so that you can see the special message and the fact that that special message has come to you who is also special. Angels and visions and all of those things. The second thing then is arrogance. When you have all of those kinds of things, you know what it does? It brings attention to yourself. I should probably say pride, not just arrogance. Arrogance comes from pride. It's self-attention. You want to draw attention to yourself. My wife tells me about the story where she was at a conference, a youth conference some years back, and they were performing exorcisms. And as they were doing that, there was a friend that was with her. And the friend said, Tosin, can you see that? And he said, see what? He said, my gosh, can you see that? He's like, what? He said, the people. They said, no, not the people. All those demons. She said, I cannot see them, and I don't want to see them. I mean, who, who would like to be seeing demons? But you know what he was trying to do? He was trying to draw attention to himself. Obviously not the demons. The fact that he could see those things. And many times he says, Paul says that they are puffed up. That's what it is. These teachings, these things, these visions, he puffs them up. They want to draw attention to themselves. But at the same time, and this is where pride as self-attention as, um, self then manifests in a negative way. In a positive way is that it draws people to themselves with all these new things. But in a negative way is this. Whenever those people are critiqued, because you said something public, let us try and see whether these things are true or not. Immediately they are critiqued. Or maybe they've been accused of something. Immediately they are critiqued. They'll say, you know what? They're coming after me just as they came after Jesus. Jesus said that if, we persecute, if they persecuted him, they will also persecute us. So don't follow all these critics. They have been accused of a sexual scandal. You'll be like, I will not even dignify them with an answer. It's still pride. They create a seed mentality. It's the world against me. And then the final thing is ignorance. You see, that verse um, 18, a better way of, transla of translating it, a literal way of translating it, rather than just say that they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds, is the unspiritual minds, their unspiritual minds puff them up with idle notions. Their unspiritual minds puff them up with idle notions. That word unspiritual in Greek is what we would normally call flesh, right? What we would normally call flesh. And flesh, the, Paul always contrasts those who are in the spirit and those who are in the flesh. It's as though you have these two warring factions, the flesh and the spirit. And so when you sin, you've actually given to the flesh, you've given over to the flesh, all right? When you do what is right, you've given over to the spirit. That's why I called it unspiritual. That is, it is what is against the spirit. Because I don't want you to understand Ignorance, I'm not using ignorance here as unsmart. No, false teachers are usually very smart. That's why they're able to persuade people. But is that because what is driving their teaching is from the flesh, even when they use their intellect, right, it is still ignorant because it's ignorant in relation to what God actually says and what God is actually doing. Do we understand that? It puffs them up with idle notions. And Paul, when he summarizes everything about them, he gives a very damning report in verse 19. He says, they have lost connection with the head. That is scary. They've lost connection with the head. The head, if you see Colossians 1.18 and Colossians 2.10, is very clear who it is. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the head over of, all, of all authority and powers. In other words, He's not saying these are like atheists, because you would never have even thought could they have been connected to the head. These are people that you would have thought are connected to the head, but they've lost co connection. In other words, they talk Christianity, but the teaching isn't really Christian. 
They act Christiany like now humility for us, because remember when it's talking about arrogance, says they are puffed up and they have false humility. The humility was really the people that put themselves in, you know, embody what they were trying to teach. That's constant fasting, denying the body and all of that. Nowadays, if you talk low, if you dress not in um, three-piece suit and pocket square, uh, those kind of things, but you just dress, you know, just wear native. Not even, I don't put Agbada. And then you talk in a very low, humble voice. You are seeing, in fact, there's something called a humble voice, by the way. Right? You just talk low. I say, ah, oh, he's so humble. He could never say anything that is wrong. Look at him. And so Paul is saying they talk Christianly. They talk humble. But the character isn't really. That's really, that's difficult to hear. But he says you have to beware. Because these teachings aren't coming from Christ. And these teachers have lost connection with him. Which brings me to my final point. Deep and full Christ. How not to be deceived? So I said a lot about what is outside there, but let me give us six ways. Uh, because Paul says in verse 20, he says, why is it that you guys submit to these teachings? Why? And so in other words, he's expecting them not to. So let me give you six ways of how we can try, hopefully avoid these six practices we can take up. Number one, Jesus must always be at the center. Jesus must always be at the center. Now, if you notice in verse 17, it says all these Jewish rules are shadows. They find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Look at it. It says the reality, however, is found in Christ. In verse 3, which we looked at a few weeks ago, he says that in Christ all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom, this wisdom that you're running after, they are found in Christ. So if you are thinking of committing to a ministry, a church, or to reading a particular author's book and, you know, you should ask yourself, at least I'm not saying everything that you have to read must be Christian. I'm saying you are getting something, you are testing whether something is Christian or not. Ask yourself, where is the place of Jesus Christ here? How Christ-focused are they? Is Christ a mere footnote? When his name comes up when we say in Jesus' name when we pray. That's when he comes in. Because we mustn't forget the verdict that he put on the teachers. They've lost their connection to him. The second is that you need theology. And then I add, and you can learn theology. Because some of us may quickly just switch off. Nope, I'm not, I'm not planning to be a pastor. What do I need theology for? All I just want is Jesus Christ. I just want Jesus Christ, that's all. I mean, I like the first point. The second point is complicating things. Well, notice what Paul says in verse 20 again. He says, since you died with Christ. You say, hey, that's Jesus Christ there, but he didn't just say Jesus Christ. He said, since you died with Christ. That means that we have to talk about why Christ died. Not just the fact that he died, but why he died. And then after that, you have to talk about the fact that he says, you died with him. I can see at least two doctrines that are there. In other words, if you just say, all I want is Jesus Christ, and he says, since you died with Christ, and you understand that, that is theology already. Because the one is saying that Jesus Christ died for sins. That is a theological statement. And the other one is saying that by faith with Christ, we are united with him so that when he died for our sins, we die to the world. In other words, if you say, I just want Jesus Christ and I don't want any theology, you will get a wrong Jesus Christ. Someone said, we are all theologians. The question that you need to ask is whether or not you have the right theology. Say, but some, some of these theological books are too big. They are small ones as well. I don't know where to start. There are people you can ask. But everyone is a theologian because everyone has an opinion on who God is, on who Jesus is, or who they are not. As I said, now there are so many Jesuses outside there. People are using Jesus to fight against the scripture when Jesus himself said the scriptures, and he was meaning the Old Testament, cannot be broken. If you don't have good theological understanding of the place of the Bible, the fact that uh, the, the, uh, God's, uh, uh, God as Trinity, some people will say that, oh, all I want is Jesus. This Trinity complicates things. Jesus is God, and that's it. But you see, you can't really get Jesus without God in three persons. And so you need theology. 
particularly historic theology. Why did we confess the Apostles' Creed today? That is a, it's almost 1,700 years old. It's because of this. If you do believe that God, Jesus is true when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he says that I will and he put his spirit inside the church, the Holy Spirit has been in the church since the day Jesus ascended and he descended. And he's been with the church in truth as well. And so there are certain things that don't change in the teachings of the church. Those are certain things we confess. So one of the ways you can spot a teacher that is false, including myself, is when does this start to depart from historic Christianity? Except you believe that God has just arrived in the church, that this generation is such a special generation. Because of what? Every generation where people proclaim the name of Christ is special to him. And that's why he's preserved truth over the years. And so be committed to Christ through the truth and then find people who are committed to that. That's what you need to do. Amen? Third, let me rush through. Well, the last two I rushed through, but uh, the third one is don't be too enamored by someone such that you always follow what they say. You always follow what they say no matter what. Look, there's a tendency in us, because we, we are all going to, we are all worshippers, but we can't see God. There's a tendency to us, in us to try to revere human beings more than we should. You find somebody that is smart. You find someone who, who told you certain things about yourself that you've never known, right? You saw somebody who performed a number of miracles, and you read with that, that that person can never fall. If you are thinking like that, please take that out of your mind. As long as we're human beings and we are not Jesus the Messiah, Paul says, even to himself, he says that let him that thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. And if you follow somebody who climbs and sinker like that, when the person falls, oh, how great would your own fall also be? Don't be too enamored with people such that you would always follow what they say no matter what. I said in the first service, one of the most frustrating things about leading this church is that People don't always agree with what I say. And many times they let me know that. Yeah, I no, I don't agree. Even my own wife self doesn't. That's another thing. All right? They don't always agree with what I say. It's frustrating because I like people to believe what I believe. But here's the thing. It's one of the greatest blessings, I think, for me and for the people that I lead in this church as well. Because imagine, imagine what that would do to me if you agreed with everything I say. It would make me a megalomaniac. You guys and... And that would be a big problem. But imagine what would happen. And when that kind of thing happens to me, imagine what will happen to you then when I will, and it's not a matter of if, I will fall. That would be a problem. Fourth, don't be too repelled by everyone such that you will hardly submit to anyone. The, first, the third point was, on the one hand, this on the right extreme, the, this one is on the left extreme. Now you can get to the point where I've seen what that pastor did to those people. I've seen how they were eating grass and they were drinking petrol. No pastor will ever do that to me. Why? Because I'll never submit to anybody. Well, here, in, your, in fear of trying to be, not to be manipulated and trying to be, I only want to worship Jesus. Do you know what you've just done by saying that? You've actually disobeyed Jesus. Because Jesus does give, he gives us shepherds, Jesus gives us leaders to submit to. If you say you want to stay on your own and build your own Christianity, that means you want to be an isolationist or an anarchist. Remember who is writing this letter. Who is writing this letter? Paul is telling them, don't listen to those teachers. By saying don't listen to those teachers, you know what he's saying? Listen to me. If I'm a true, legitimate apostle of Christ. In other words, be careful not to run so much away from the church because of what you are scared of. If you do that, you'll be isolationist or an anarchist. And the thing about isolationists and anarchists is that they somehow find themselves. And when they find themselves, ah, we're all running away from the same enemy. When they find themselves, they congregate. And then there is an isolationist or an anarchist who is smarter than all of them. He's able to give their principles better than anybody. You know what they start doing? They start following that one too. You can't avoid it. Well, let me rush to the last two. Last two. Rules as a means to salvation is always wrong. Please say that with me. Rules as a means to salvation is always wrong. I'll just move on from that, all right? You know what I mean by that, right? Anybody that starts telling you you can only really get closer to God 
apart from Christ, with this and this and this and this. Or God, there's salvation, but not full salvation. You know, there's gospel, but not full gospel. You need to add this and this and this. It's always wrong. And then finally, faith void of any explicit rules is also always wrong. Because even though Paul has tried to show that all these additions that these people are giving you, these human commandments, run away from them. That's why I've expounded Christ to you. Christ is what you need. But you know what Paul is going to do in chapters 3 and chapters 4? Paul is going to give you a lot of rules in chapter 3, in chapters 3 and chapters 4. But those rules come as a reflection of what Christ has done for us. They are connected. So if somebody is offering you a faith that is just Christ alone, you don't need any other thing, run away. Run away from such. Guys, you see the tendency about here after hearing all this, and I'm not saying to myself, but maybe some of us will be agreeing that, wow, this is truth. This is real truth. Thank God I come to this church. Come thank God that with this church and the Christians that are here are so different from all the people that are outside. Right? Thank God that we are shielded from all that nonsense and that garbage. That's why I just love my city church. If you are thinking like that, can you start to repent, please? Because you've missed the point totally. Now, don't get me wrong. Am I saying that uh, what I said here, hopefully uh, uh, that that isn't different from what some others are saying? Yes, it is. But you'll be damning yourself if then, because of that, you get the attitude that you know this because you are better than them. You'll be doing that same circle thing that we're talking about, that we inside are better and all the other people are outside there are worse. And God has chosen me specifically, especially because of something that I am and those guys aren't. Please don't do that. If you're trying to evangelize people to your way of thinking, by that kind of attitude, guess what? You too should be avoided. Because all of us are deep and empty. It's only Christ, as we see in verses 9 to 10, it's only Christ in whom the fullness, the fullness of the deity dwells in. He is the one that is deep and full. And when we accept that, he can then bring us to fullness. We enter fullness with on, only with our connection with Christ. And so whatever you know, hold it loosely. Be glorify Christ. Don't think too much about yourself. And if there are people that you know need to hear the truth, then kindly, humbly speak with them. But don't try to win them over to you. Win them over to Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.